hppodcraft.com. Dr. Jonathan Chase. Wealthy, young, handsome. A man with the brightest of futures. A man with the darkest of pasts. From Africa's deepest recesses to the rarefied peaks of Tibet. Heir to his father's legacy and the world's darkest mysteries. Jonathan Chase, master of the secrets that divide man from animal. Animal from man. Manimal. <laughs> the intro says it all. It's Manimal. And uh, we're going to be covering it as part of this bonus episode. For May, we've been doing Lovecraft for the most part and wanted to make some kind of hard left turn for the bonus episode. I think this is that. <laughs> It really came from a comment. Somebody said there should be a, a drinking game where you take a drink every time we mention Manimal on the show. And to me, that means cover Manimal on the show. Yes, that is a request. That's how I was reading that. Yeah. Uh, and those references are a running joke, not just with us, but it's a well-worn punchline all over the place. Maybe not as many people remember it now, but we're not the first people to make fun of it. Oh, no. Will Ferrell was going to make a film adaptation of this movie back in 2012. So Yeah, so it was popular enough for that yeah to be in the works at least we found the entire series on dvd that's really the only way to watch it mm-hmm. all eight all eight episodes <laughs> and said uh you know what let's do the pilot for bonus content it could be funny and the pilot definitely was funny but it was also horrific oh boy i don't live tweet things but i couldn't help myself really i said don't meet your idols <laughs> because both the title and the theme of this episode are going to be manimal is a monster <laughs> We've complained before. When that Dracula show came on Netflix, a lot of people said, oh, I think you guys are going to really like it because Dracula's not some lovable or even a, a loving you know, character. He's the horrible, horrible monster that you yeah. guys wanted him to be. Yeah, yeah. But this was a surprise. I didn't know Manimal was going to be in that vein as I, well. I didn't know either. I thought he was the hero. But l- let me set the stage for our relationship with this thing. So uh, when it was on in 1983, I kind of remember I was very excited. I watched it. Mm-hmm. I did the math and I was eight years old. I was definitely 10. So I was eight going on. I was going to turn nine like a week later. So this was a birthday present for me. So, But all I remember were the effects, which I thought were cool. And I do remember that I was enjoying it on an ironic level of some kind. Like it was a funny title. Yeah. It might be one of my first memories of that experience where you're into something and excited about it. But at the same time, you kind of know it's stupid mm. and that's okay. Yeah. I think the producers were obviously aware of that. They know it's cheesy and goofy and they play that up. Sometimes they succeed. I mean, one time they succeeded in this pilot. (laughs) But it's pretty serious, though. I mean, it's an action show and there were murders and drugs and criminals. Actually, there was some kind of plot structure. The way that it was structured, I thought was actually pretty good. You get Manimal right away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the beats are all there. Well, you surprised me there. Oh, so you mean, like, on a macro level? they, they Yeah, they on a macro it level, well. it, yeah, yeah. it's structured really well. But that's it. That's <laughs> It's just not... You're right. Yeah, it just didn't get executed on the right way. No. Well, I, when we were roommates back in the day, they ran Manimal on cable. We had one of those early TiVos, and so we TiVoed a bunch of them. And uh-huh. it had this Zap Brannigan kind of energy where he was a big cheese ball who thinks he's cool. But you kind of like him because of that. <laughs> Even if he says some mildly offensive things here and there. But after watching this pilot, I was like, no, he's not a lovable narcissist. This is like Harvey Weinstein level stuff. Well, Mm, it is, man. I would go so far as to say that in the classical monster pantheon, Manimal just might be the archetype for the sexual abuser. Yeah, it's not good in this 
the sexual <laughs> consent area of things at all. I was thinking a lot about the actual people who had to perform this stuff while I was yeah. watching it, too. Me, too. So Manimal was produced by TV legend Glenn A. Larson and Paul Mason. Larson produced such classic TV as Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers of the 25th Century, Quincy, M.E., Magnum, P.I., and, of course, Knight Rider. It was the creator, writer, and producer of Manimal. So he gets the lion's share eh, of the mm. credit and the blame. Yeah. And he did BJ and the Bear, which I really loved when I was little. <laughs> I think he was so successful that he was able to maybe fully fund any wacky idea he had just to see what sticks. Yeah. And you can make fun of that because this came out of it. Auto Man came out of that yeah. process. But a talking car sounds just as ridiculous. And that was a huge hit. So. Yeah. And also, these are pretty cynical. Auto Man was a Tron ripoff, and this one is just trying to ride that American Werewolf in London train. Mm -hmm. yeah. That um, it's a right, like it's a hundred percent cashing in on people liking that transformation sequence because that movie was only a couple of years old, mm -hmm. and they just thought, well, let's figure out a plot way to get those transformation sequences in every episode. Now, Paul Mason, he went on to do Killer Clowns from Outer Space, that movie, which I remember thoroughly enjoying at the time. I don't know if it holds up anymore. He also did the '90s Sabrina the Teenage Witch. As well. Now, this show aired on September 30th, 1983. It was on NBC and was up against Dallas, for crying out loud. Talk about a bullet to the head, for Christ's sake. Oh, it's counter-programming. That's actually one thing I really remember about it. In my memory, Manimal turns into a shark and he goes after J.R. Ewing in his swimming pool. Because on Dallas, J.R. would often lie on a raft in the pool and talk on his big cordless phone. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this show, they do that scene. It's not him, but they trailered that like crazy, I think, to play up that they were going to eat the competition. So oh, I think that character right. in the pilot is supposed to be a sort of J.R. Ewing arc. Oh, okay. That's why okay. it's in there. Wow. And I got to say that that is that's how they end the pilot. And it's a clever set piece because, you know, who hasn't played shark in the pool? Here's the thing. Like, OK, I'm a kid. I want to watch Manimal. Your parents want to watch Dallas. Right. Forget it. It's not happening. They're not going to let you watch Manimal while they're watching oh. Dallas. Unless you've got two TVs in your house, like some kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rich I was going to say, just tell the butler to um, <laughs> carry you into the, uh, the third TV room. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Definitely. But the shark in the pool thing. I think this is, I actually think this is where a manimal type situation is called for. Because mm -hmm. that's the only way you're going to get a shark into a pool is if it happens that way. So, you know, I think that was clever. Sure. Now, the pilot doesn't have that intro that we heard at the top read by famous actor William Conrad. But it just kind of explains to you what is happening. Just sitting down in the first few seconds, I, I couldn't believe that this was a real show. So first scene, somewhere in New York City, we cut to a guy shooting an Uzi on a firing range that looks more like an office space that they've yeah. just set up like the partitions to make it into a firing range. The dude that's shooting this Uzi looks like a 1980s accountant with glasses mm -hmm. and he's bald and he's wearing a necktie. It's like, why is this guy got an Uzi? He doesn't look like a, yeah. a baddie. And then there's this other dude. The third thing <laughs> is that this other guy, this is all happening like almost simultaneously. This barrage of craziness. There's a, <laughs> there's a dude just standing near where the, these guys are standing, firing the machine gun. He's holding a machete to his own throat yes. for no reason that yes. I can understand at all. It was his bit. The actor goes, well, why don't I just do this bit with the thing, with the machete here? Yeah, because he's a crazy bad guy. I had to keep rewinding it to make sure that's what I saw. And it Everything was. about it is so 80s. And as a nine-year-old, for whatever reason, I was obsessed with Uzis. So the oh, fact yeah. that it opens with that, I mean, Heather was watching this with me and I actually paused it to point out something that was blowing my mind that is how different the world is. My friends and I all had Mac-10 toy guns yeah, that looked exactly like the ones they were shooting in that scene. Yeah, Like, a.k.a. they looked like 
black metal oh, yeah. real submachine guns. Yeah, yeah. And we spent all of our outdoor time chasing each other around with those. Yeah. For years. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. So strange. So this accountant guy is buying a bunch of Uzis for his cause, which we never find out what that cause is. And there's another suited guy. He's the boss weapons dealer. So just then, a Black Panther shows up high above them looking down. All right, stop. Why is this happening? I've lived in cities my whole adult life. I've never seen a panther lurking about. Uh If I did, I certainly would find it odd. Uh So I don't know if this is a good way to conduct covert surveillance. It's an immediate conflict even with that opening narration because Manimal is rich. And already a consultant to the police. Uh-huh. So there is zero reason to do what he's doing. If he was a poor street guy and the only thing going for him was his manimal abilities, then uh-huh. I think he probably used them in every situation, whether he needed to or not. But because of the way they've set him up, it never makes sense in this entire show. There's not one reasonable manimation in this story. Well, when he turns into a hawk, it's pretty convenient. That works out. I think that's the mm-hmm. most advantageous yeah. for what he's doing. But, sure, we're, unless we're, somebody we're, goes into a building. So Machete Guy is told to do something, and he leaves the building. I call him Machete Guy because he had the machete in the beginning, but he immediately ditches the machete. Well, I think it's odd that you're calling him Machete Guy because we've cracked who he was halfway through. Didn't he look familiar to you? He did look familiar to me. That's Bernie. Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, my God. That's Bernie? He just doesn't have the mustache. That was Oh, Bernie. whoa. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I think he does a pretty good job on this show. He's actually, pretty good. He's, he's a pretty good actor. Like. Yeah. So Machete Guy, or Bernie, walks out of the building, and then out of the alley comes a tuxedo-wearing man. This is Dr. Jonathan Chase, played by actor Simon McCorkendale. Now, Simon McCorkendale was an English actor born in Cambridgeshire in 1952. He was an I, Claudius, which was a very good show. Also in Quartermass, highly regarded. But he was also in the 1982 movie The Sword and the Sorcerer, which I remember being really scared of when I was a kid, but also really liked it. And then he was in your favorite Dennis Quaid movie of all time, Jaws 3D. Yep. After this show, got onto Falcon Crest, and that's kind of where he really was well known, because that that show was on for quite a few years. He played the Falcon, I believe. (laughs) He was back. He moved back to England and was on Casualty, which is a popular show over here from 2002 to 2010. But he died of bowel cancer in 2010 in London when he was only 58 years old. Oh, man. Well, I have to say, I don't really blame him for anything. Oh, He's a super good looking dude. Really sells being smarmy, which I'm sure is what they asked him to do. You know, he's great. I was wondering what the actors were thinking, as we said, especially the female lead, which we'll get to. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I really felt like the awards uh, snubbed him for Jaws 3. He was really (laughs) But enough sadness. Back to Manimal. Tuxedo clad. I don't know why he's wearing a tuxedo, but he is. Dr. Jonathan Chase is on the trail of the gun dealer henchman. This machete guy gets into a cab and Dr. Chase walks up to another cab, flashes his <laughs> his police consultant ID yeah. at the cab driver and says, official police business, follow that cab. And the cabbie's like, okay, yeah, sure. Police <laughs> consultant. It was so And it's on a business card that he looks like he got from a machine. It's not even like nice onion skin or anything. By the way, see, this is the problem. You mentioned the tuxedo thing. I didn't make a note here. I was walking around the living room pondering why he would do this, too, because... Every time he turns into Manimal, it would show the tuxedo get ripped in half. But then, but he it, doesn't turn into Manimal accidentally, I think. So why would you make that choice? It's anyway. part of the magic of... Because tra- when he turns back into a human, he's fully clothed. So obviously this is a supernatural transformation. But for some reason, when he transforms, they show his clothes ripping. Which I guess they magically reform back together? I don't know. Oh, it's- wow. God, I didn't even consider that level of it. Okay, now it's good <laughs> because it's challenging. 
<laughs> Keep going with this cab sequence, because that was a weird one. Oh my god, so they, as they follow, Dr. Chase tells the cabbie to keep his eyes on the road, and Manimal begins changing. He's, he breathes really heavy, and he tells the cabbie, yeah. keep the eye on the road. And this is good stuff. <laughs> because they don't make you wait a half hour for the special effects. Like, this is in the first five minutes. We're getting a transformation scene of yeah. him turning into a panther, which is good job. And the special effects were done by a young Stan Winston, who goes yeah. on to do Terminator and, uh, you know, lots of amazing special effects. Jurassic Park. There's some bad visual effects in there that I don't think are Stan Winston's. I think you can tell the material that's his because it yeah. looks really good. But I, he, there's no way that he had anything to do with that panther hand, is there? No. With the retractable little white no. claws that poke out? Maybe. I don't know. And also that was it, hysterical. It's so awkwardly edited, this transformation scene. Like, it goes on for way too long. you got to leave people hungry for a little bit more. But there's, like, no background <laughs> music as well. So there's it's not suspenseful. It's just kind of weird. No, it feels like that moment in The Howling when they're in the porno theater. I mean, because he's just in the back of this cab going... <gasps> Don't look at me back here. You know, it feels really <laughs> masturbatory and gross. It does. it does. So when they arrive at the warehouse, the Panther chase, uh, he sneaks out the window, leaving a befuddled cab driver behind who just missed the whole transformation. The Panther prowls around to the warehouse, finds armed guards. A machete guy is there, and he's talking about a big shipment of explosives, but I thought they were gun runners, so I guess I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. But mm -hmm. he feels like he's being watched. Sure. So the panther sneaks onto the truck that has the explosives or guns or whatever the hell is supposed to be on there. And a couple of uniformed cops spot this truck and wonder why it's making delivery so late at night. And they decide to follow it. We laughed out loud at that because I think the truck says, you know, sewing supplies or something. Yeah. And the cop goes, ah, it's pretty late to be making deliveries. We better follow. <laughs> what police officer has time to do that? <laughs> But one of the cops is Brooke McKenzie, who is played by Melody Anderson. And I know Melody Anderson as Dale Arden from the 1980 Flash Gordon. Yeah. And she was in a ton of TV in the 80s, but she retired from television in 1995 to become a psychotherapist and social worker in Los Angeles. And man, she's the best thing in the show. Yeah. That's not really saying much, I guess. Oh, under the circumstances, I'm, pr I'm pretty impressed with the way she handled this whole thing, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. I real. call her Dale the whole time, too. So but if I'm saying Dale, that's who I'm talking about. Oh, I see. Yeah. But she's really good. What she's got, I think she makes the most of it. Yeah, and I she's, do too. I think she's, she's the best person in the show. Other than Bernie, he's good, too. And she's the most likable. Her character doesn't make any sense at all. But no. It's not her fault. I see now her offices are up. Just up on Wilshire, actually. They're not that far from me. So oh, I'm wow. kind of tempted to get an appointment with her just to deal with what I watch. <laughs> Do you think she'd be receptive to that? <laughs> Look, I came to you because I watched Manimal really screwed me up. I have questions <laughs> for her, too. Maybe she would do an interview. You might ask. So anyway. I'll see if I can get my insurance to pay for it. <laughs> so while the, police, while the police are following the truck, the panther jumps out, scares Machete Man and, and the thug, and they crash. Full-on 80s flipping over truck where they spent a lot of money on this effect yeah. of having the truck flip over. Machete gives up, but thug number two, he runs and Mackenzie chases after him and so does Manimal. Now the panther is shot and the mm -hmm. thug runs off. Back at the truck, I love this part, the cop has... <laughs> <laughs> the, pop, the cop has a gun on Machete, who's now smoking? I don't know how that yeah. happened. Like, he goes, oh, you, you're, you've got a gun on me. Mind if I smoke? And the cop's like, oh, yeah, sure, go ahead, I guess. That's, like, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> so he's smoking, and then he notices there's a gas leak in the crashed truck, and he tosses his cigarette over into the gas. It lights up and then causes all the explosives and bombs or whatever's in the car yeah. to, to start to blow up. 
that's not what happened. He's distracted, and then Machete had a gun in his belt or something, and then pulls out the gun and shoots Mackenzie's partner. Heather was complaining earlier that that cop wasn't very good. He's because that cop is terrible. He I don't is. know what he had done. <laughs> and then she went into the kitchen to do something, and when all that went down, I was like, "Get back in here!" He just paid for it. <laughs> he let the guy smoke while he had him at gunpoint. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Dude. Mackenzie's chasing that thug number two. He gets hit mm. by a taxi and knocked out cold. She tells the cabbie to go call the ambulance, and then she chases after the panther because she's seen that there's a freaking panther in the streets of L.A. Yeah. So she chases it down an alley, but then Dr. Jonathan Chase comes out in his tuxedo just hanging around, and she says, hey, there's a panther on the loose. Get out of here, buddy. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. And he leaves, and she's like, where's the panther? And I again, I was thinking, is he in control of these? Because they did sometimes play up. He'd look at the moon kind of concerned. Yeah. No, he's totally in control. But then he obviously is because he's using it to do complicated surveillance and stuff and protect people. So why is he worried? Man, I have so many questions. So back at the station, Mackenzie IDs the guy from a book. She complains to the chief. They aren't doing enough. So he tells her, you know what? We got this consultant. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> at NYU, who oh, specializes God. in animals in police investigations. So I think to myself, okay, animals in police investigations, that would be police dogs, right? He's going to talk about like police dogs and using, <laughs> you know, them to find drugs or like to, to train police dogs. That's that'll be what he does because he's, you know, in animals. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> it's the category doesn't make sense. It doesn't it make should it. be specific like that. Who is it that would ever be a consultant just on animals in general as they relate to police work? What does that even mean? It doesn't mean, no, it's so stupid. It's like I solved the murders in the Rue Morgue and I just got saddled with this expertise. It just happened to be an orangutan in that case. I didn't know. So she goes to the classroom where Dr. Jonathan Chase is talking about criminal psychology. Yes. And that how they have base instincts, like animals have base Mm -hmm. instincts. But he's talking about psychology. He's not talking about animals. It's a psychology lecture. There's yeah, nothing it, to do with animals. And it's kind of, he may, he implies some pretty weird stuff right away. <laughs> he makes some offhand comment, like, if you want to understand uncivilized, he's, he delivers it too. Like, he read that line and went, oh, I better say this fast. So nobody <laughs> hears it. He's like, if you want to understand uncivilized people, you have to understand animal psychology. Anyway, I'm like, was that just some eugenics level stuff going on there? Because sometimes he'll say like mystical level stuff, like uh-huh. how animals are better than us and more in tune with the world. But here he seems to be making a case that base criminals think like animals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also... Oof. Why bother making him an expert in this stuff? Doesn't it, wouldn't it make more sense for there to be another character who's an expert in animal behavior who's then able to sniff out who animal is and what he's all about? You know, like incred- yeah. it's, the Incredible Hulk has already laid out the template for all of these things. Why are you? They're well, combining they're, things in such weird ways. They're trying to make something new, dude. That's true. I didn't think <laughs> about that. <laughs> so, but, oh man, this oh, I love this so much. So Mackenzie takes a seat next to the, the blonde woman. Fortunately, it slows down and less ridiculous things happen as it goes. I mean, they still do, but you I say. mean, it's just one thing after another in the beginning. I think that you just, it, you know, it's kind of like when you smell something awful. You do get used to it after 30 seconds or yeah. a minute. So it was always crazy. If you'd have just jumped in in the middle, it would have been just as insane. <laughs> you <laughs> so, just got used to it. <laughs> Mackenzie takes a seat next to a blonde woman who whispers about how hot Dr. Chase is. And he can hear her from across mm-hmm. the, like, she's in the back. He's in the front lecturing and she whispers to Mackenzie. 
So he's got super hearing. And she says, uh, after, you know, he can hear, she says, I think this might be the only time somebody from the network paid attention to a line. Because when he overhears her, the woman says, he's got ears like a bull elephant. I wonder if the rest of him is as sensitive. Which is... <laughs> I was like, that's a weird turn to take on that. But yeah. then when I looked at it, I, it was an ADR line. And I think that she actually made a joke about the size of his penis. Whoa. And somebody, uh, he's got, think about it. He's got ears like a bull elephant. I wonder oh. if the rest of him is blah, blah, blah. Oh, right, and they just yeah. changed uh-huh. it to as sensitive because her mouth didn't match it. So right. uh-huh. at least we know there was some oversight. Yeah, some kind of oversight. I guess I will say this. Yeah. This pilot has every single cat joke that was also in the musical cat. <laughs> and it lands, it does, and it lands them all 150% better than that movie did. So, <laughs> uh, no, dude, I enjoyed this about 500% more than I enjoyed cats. <laughs> I know. Because this is bad in interesting ways. Yeah, I didn't and know cats, where Manimal was Cats was just freaking boring. Anyway, he sees Mackenzie is there, and then they have this moment, I guess. I don't know what it is or what's supposed to be happening. They zoom in in his eyes, and there's this kind of weird music sound. Is it love? Is it fear? I have no idea. I'm sorry that this is so all over the place, but I, I'm going to have a problem picking out exactly when something's happened in this linear progression here. Because uh-huh, the sure. whole experience was a little hallucinatory, but I don't want to forget to say... That there was a part, and I don't know why, Dale jumped on a bicycle <laughs> chasing after a criminal. Yeah, it's later. <laughs> and I know it's way later, but I'll never know when to say this, but I'm thinking of it now. And, like, she jumped on the bike, and then he kicked her off of it, right? He did. It's one of the greatest action sequences I've ever seen. Anyway. <laughs> That happens at some point. It does. So they go- I mean, normally I don't laugh when a woman gets kicked off of a bicycle, but it was hysterical. It's just You just don't expect it. It's just so random and weird. Anyway, they go for you a walk. You don't expect it, and I think she might have done the stunt, too, because I, it really oh, looks like a- her getting kicked. There's a couple of stunts here that I, you know, because later on she she catches a snake and it, it doesn't look like a fake snake. It looks like a real snake. Yeah. So somehow they trained her. I Maybe we can hook up an interview with. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I got so I many questions. call her office. <laughs> so they walk and talk after class and she asks him because she's like, yeah, I saw you in an alley in a tuxedo. And he goes, no, nope, it wasn't me. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Because, you know, she knows it was him. She's like freaking cop because it was dark. He didn't know anything. And she's like, do you know anything about an escaped panther? And he's like, nope, nope, I don't know anything. But then she notices his arms hurt. And she, mm-hmm. there was that, that guy shooting around last night. And there was a panther. So maybe he was out with the panther and got shot. So Dr. Chase is picked up in a car by this guy, Tyrone Ty C. Earl, who's played by Michael D. Roberts. He's one of those ubiquitous 80s actors. But I knew him from Ice Pirates. Ice Pirates, yeah. And he was, I mean, he had a big part in that, but he was also in Manhunter, and he was in Rain Man as well. Even though he's wounded, Manimal, he wants tonight to track down this machete guy. He knows there's this club that he goes to, and Ty seems to be in the know about his manimalness. Like, they're yes. they're into fighting crime together. He's like an mm-hmm. accomplice of them. Immediately, I go, oh, so Manimal's a crime fighter? wonder what his motivation is for fighting crime. I wonder if that's something we ever find out, because I don't know what Manimal's... Oh, I thought, I was like, ooh, you scared me, because I go, boy, if they revealed what that was, I don't know. Because I... <laughs> no, they don't reveal okay. it. Maybe they never do. Maybe he's just altruistic. You know, I want to fight crime. So Mackenzie knows that something is that he's lying. So she follows them to the club and beat it is playing in the club. Michael yeah. Jackson's beat it. And I was like, when did they get the licensing for that? It's not the actual song, but even that 
is insane for a TV show that's clearly cutting costs. Yeah. All I could think is if this came out in 83, they were probably in post on it a year before, which is when that album came out. And the first single was Billie Jean. So I just think Beat It wasn't a hit yet. Oh, right. Yeah. So it would have been getting played in the clubs, but not on the radio yet. So people, he, somebody probably heard it and said, let's get the right rights to it, but not pay Michael Jackson because he's a big celebrity. That was crazy that that showed up. Yeah, that took me out of it. Dr. Chase was right. Machete shows up and then Mackenzie shows up following him. So they're all there. There's this weird, awkward scene where he pulls her on the dance floor and then they're dancing and having a conversation. Ugh, creepy. It's really just creepy. He's like, don't interfere with this because... It's not going to help if we if we arrest this guy. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm a cop. So she arrests that guy. They take him into custody. He's got an alibi for the shooting. And he also has a fancy lawyer. Chase goes to the police headquarters and tries to apologize to McKenzie. They basically become friends, but he insists that she calls him JC. Yeah, they set up a couple of things here that are supposed to be fun banter. One is the really hack, you can call me blank thing, uh-huh. which is a, you know, you want to use the formality. I prefer it to be more relaxed. And now we're going to fight about that. Here, it, has, it just has a creep level because it's it gets down to the root of it. She's trying to be professional and he's yes. overstepping that constantly. Yes, yes exactly. That's so it. So it takes on a different, it's, it's not funny. And then the other thing they set up is him saying, I have a plan. And she goes, I'm going to use my plan because I'm a police officer, which makes sense to me. Yep. But of course, her plan for whatever, I, I didn't pay attention to the plot, so I don't know why. But in the end, he's, she actually has to have a come to Jesus moment where she admits to him that her plan was wrong and she should have oh. listened to him, mm. the man, the manimal. The whole time. I couldn't believe that the actress even had to go through that. It was, <laughs> it yeah. was terrible. She believes that they're in the warehouse and they're going to stake out the warehouse district and try and somehow find it. They spot the truck. They follow the truck to to the warehouse, the one that he was at earlier before. She tells him to wait in the car. So she goes into the warehouse to find out what's going on. He turns into a panther. <laughs> She's spotted and hides. Then they've got her surrounded, all the thugs, with machine guns, and she doesn't know what to do. So Manimal, as a panther, knocks over a crate of grenades, which seems like a bad idea. She's like, oh, grenades, great. So she picks up a grenade, and she throws a grenade at some dudes. Yeah. Like, (laughs) cops can't do that. You can't throw grenades at guys. It's so irresponsible. There's probably people working in the office who don't know anything about this conflict that's happening out there. (laughs) She hasn't identified herself as a police officer. She hasn't. uh, I mean, she's trespassing. She doesn't have a warrant for any of this stuff. I mean, it's it's just preposterous. Obviously, whoever wrote this had no knowledge of any kind of police procedure or anything like that. No, but they might have had a knowledge of the audience because when I had a when this happened, I go, she can't use a grenade. And Heather said, totally seriously, she goes, what else is she supposed to do? (laughs) And I have to admit, she had a point. I went, well, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think her mistake was not keeping some of those grenades for every other situation in this pilot. (laughs) She throws a grenade. It explodes. It catches things on fire. So all these, everybody gets the hell out of the warehouse. Manimal shows her as a panther, shows her the way out. And she like somehow knows that the panther's helping her. And then... (laughs) The warehouse explodes. And is that when they got knocked unconscious yes. together? Because I thought it was earlier. No, no, it's there. So sh- so she's knocked out from the explosion and the Panthers knocked out from the explosion. And then I didn't see that you tweeted this image of there's like a, a crappy looking stuffed Panther that's supposed to be a real Panther, like pass out on her boob. And she's like lying there. And then he transforms when he's knocked out. He transforms back into <laughs> yeah. to Dr. Jonathan Chase. I think that might be a drugged panther, actually. Is it a stuffed panther? 
I it didn't I didn't think it looked real. I thought it looked well. The thing fake. about it that was funny, we laughed at the image when they flashed it real quick, just because she was laying there with the panther. So I rewound it to take a picture, and this is what prompted. Uh-huh. I mean, this really cracked my mind open because. I thought he was laying down there to get comfort because he was shot, but he's totally creeping on her breasts <laughs> as a panther. <laughs> and it's not the first time he does that in this episode. With oh, man. The fire department arrives. He's a regular person fully clothed. They're okay. Yeah. Machete's lawyer's got him out of jail. and He's back on the streak. So Manimal's following him as a hawk. And then once again, we have some conflict here because why is he doing... That's probably, as you said, the most reasonable type of surveillance he does. A hawk is a pretty good way to follow people. Yeah, oh yeah. But also he could install a camera or just be a person and get the same results a lot of the time. Well, I mean, you can follow a car really easy as a a hawk and you're not going to get caught. Nobody's going to think, oh, that, wait a minute, that hawk's following me. I bet you that's a dude. No, that's true. <laughs> Later, they introduce this really wealthy woman in a fur coat. And I don't know what she does in the plot because I don't care. But it, yeah. but he has to spy on her at one point. And he turns into a house cat, which is pretty good strategy. Yeah. But it's weird that she finds the house cat in her closet. She's on the phone and then she goes, oh, I don't know. There's just a stray cat in here and starts uh-huh. petting it. Well. And doesn't care. Yeah. Which was weird. And then he sticks his head into her rope <laughs> and the cat pulls it out. And that's kind of a joke. But that's the second time. It wasn't even. <laughs> a half hour into this thing yet that he had already sexually assaulted two women as a cat yeah lots of reconnaissance as different animals and and then there's a part where he turns into a snake he doesn't turn into a snake right 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 right. oh god we're already so far in the show there's so many ridiculous scenes that I we can do multiple episodes on just the pilot (laughs) of this I know but 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 the thing with the snake is they wanted to use that as an intimidation tactic for Bernie yes and I got really mad because Ty was acting like he was scared of the snake. And when they they were trying to make you think he was going to turn into a snake. Yes. But it didn't make sense because why would Ty then be scared of it? So I was yeah. mad about this. <laughs> yeah. And then later it was revealed that, that it was actually just a snake that they were using, that Manimal. Manimal has some kind of control over animals as well, which is a power I didn't remember him having. Yeah. But he also seems to have a power to make people, people faint in the show more than any Lovecraft story I've ever read. I know they faint a lot at everything. In, in that scene with that, where Ty brings in the snake to intimidate Bernie, mm-hmm. he makes the woman, Bernie's girlfriend, faint in the bathroom. When she sees the snake, she just faints, and then Bernie faints. Yeah. And then once Mackenzie realizes that it's not actually Doctor Jonathan Chase, because she figures out he's turning into animals at some point yeah. in the thing, she goes up and catches the snake because she thinks it's him, and she's like, "Oh, you rascal!" And then he walks in, she realizes it's not him, and then she faints. There's yeah. three faints in the one scene. <laughs> I have to say, though, they nailed that snake take. And if you go to our Twitter page, you'll actually see it because I posted it. <laughs> but when she comes into the room with the gun while the snake is on Bernie's chest, the snake does a, a quick take. It's hilarious. Oh, and they did a really, that is like the funniest part. It's though. a belly laugh. It's so good. One lo- So let's just talk about the really troublesome scene yeah. in it. To this end is, the show because the stuff that happens in the plot. I mean, after that, it's all still crazy. But this is what really cheeses me off, or it just feels really inappropriate and off and weird. When she faints, she wakes up in Doctor Jonathan Chase's house in a bed. He's dabbing her head with a cloth. She fainted. First of all, she fainted. Yes. She doesn't have a fever. What the hell's going on? Why is he doing that? Okay, two, she's not in her clothes. She's in a robe. So somehow from being from a faint, faint is just like your your blood pressure kind of goes out, basically, is is what fainting is, right? Like your blood pressure. And it's a momentary thing. If somebody faints, you're usually able to bring them to very easily. Yeah. 
Okay, so she faints, and then he somehow is able to pick her up, transport her to his house. He takes her clothes off mm-hmm. and puts a robe on her and puts her to bed? What is going on here? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the creep factor is through the roof. It's even in the scene. She's like, you took my clothes off. And he says, well, I'm a, do- I'm a licensed doctor. That's nothing I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. What? No, that is super yeah. creepy. He undressed her while she was unconscious. He abducted her, really, because he she didn't choose her. to come to this place. No. When she was concerned that he stripped her, he mentioned that he was a doctor. I think maybe to put her at ease, but in I think really what he's doing is he's mentioning his influence. And then he directly says, go ahead and tell people about this. Nobody will believe you. Oh. And I don't think he's talking about the manimal stuff. Oh, man. He says that more than once. He yeah. also says, when she says, what happened last night? He goes, a gentleman never tells, which to me, there's only yeah. one thing a gentleman doesn't talk about. And so that intimates that he oh. abused her. And then oh after God. all that's over, he, he has some drugs and he tells her, just take these, you silly little goose, and go back to sleep. So he roofies her after he's abused well, her. It's so he, he, gross. He, he doesn't put him in her drink. She gives her pills. And, yes, and some water, and she he goes, take these. These will help you sleep. Why yeah. she wants to sleep at his house is beyond me. But she realizes that he's a nut job and pretends to take the pills and yeah. then says, okay, I'll stay here. Good night. And then she gets out and she does some detective work. But Kenzie's a pretty decent character for the circumstances, okay? Like, she, she doesn't fall for anybody's BS. She takes control. Unfortunately, though, by the end of the show, she seems to be in him. If I get that therapy session, probably she's going to say, this was all in good fun and you're crazy. (laughs) Stop reading into this so much. Is this really what you do for a living? I'm sure I'm going to get a very stern talking to. But, you know sometimes when something really messed up is going on and you kind of send a command to your own face to stop reacting... I'm just going to glaze over. Yeah. I'm going to put all my energy into like observing what's going on, uh-huh. but I don't want anybody to know what I'm thinking. I'm just right. freezing up here. Yeah. And I felt like she was doing, like that was happening to the actress in these scenes. She was making that face. Okay. I know this is really wrong and creepy, but if I make the face that I'm feeling right now, yes. people will know I'm horrified and that Boom. this is all There wrong. you go. Yeah. That's, I was really getting that feeling that she was purposely not, I'm probably putting it on there, but sure. this sure. is all supposed to be played for silly softcore porn laughs, but she just seemed real uncomfortable with it. It was not, know. it was not good. Basically, they find out what the gun runners are up to. There's this whole plot about, there's some nerve agent that the military's getting rid of and this general guy is selling them out so they can steal this nerve agent and sell yeah. it overseas. That's the whole big plot. It's and very course, A-team, like I didn't yeah. follow what was going on. But, Man. you know, she she there's like a classic Phantom of the Opera thing where she, while she's abducted, she goes <laughs> and finds out all of his secrets. So you get the backstory that, oh, he, right. was, this, you know, he was in Vietnam with Ty and that's why yeah. they're friends. And, and but he doesn't mention that he inherited this from his dad or anything, does he? You never really get the total information. No, you don't get that no he, he does mention that his dad was also a brilliant scientist and stuff and there was some weird stuff when they're in vietnam they have a flashback to where they're in a cage and they imply that the Viet Cong are going to eat them no, no, wait, right. they don't imply it they say it they outright say that we're on the dinner dude but there was one thing i don't know if you picked up on this but there was one part when he kind of tried a mind trick on dale yes i did see that well he and it has... didn't work no so she work. kind of has the willpower to resist but then i thought wait a minute if he's got 
suggestive Jedi mind trick powers. You know, what's stopping him? All five burrows are his erogenous zone. You know what I mean? He's been out there assaulting probably nonstop. The people that pass out, they faint, don't remember things. When Machete wakes up, he's like, I had this weird dream about a snake and my girlfriend. So he doesn't remember any of that stuff. I guess that's another superpower of of Chase's is that he can affect people's minds kind of like the shadow i guess i don't know wow he's it's, got super creepy powers because at the end instead of calling the police to go to where the criminals have stolen all of this stuff because they've done something illegal and they've kidnapped mckenzie mm-hmm. which you can call the police for that that's that's a legitimate thing he says no no, no we need help <laughs> i'm gonna go to the zoo and get all the big cats and they're gonna help me assault this warehouse right but i gotta say I really enjoyed watching this. I wish I watched it with you because there was so much going on. Yeah, I think we need to coordinate that. It would have taken us hours to get through this episode because I would have been... I stopped it so much watching it by myself. Like, what? I got to rewind that. That doesn't make any sense. What just happened? My advice is I found found a copy of it on Daily Motion. You can get the pilot episode on Daily Motion if you really want to watch this. If you're into like kitschy 80s television shows that are insane, then this is definitely your cup of tea. Yeah, and I probably should have said this at the top, but I'll say it now. I am aware that it is inherently stupid to treat this as seriously (laughs) as we have just done. Which is part of the fun. So, you know, I'm not really worried that any uh, toxic manimalism is going to take grip in society or anything like that. No, no, no. I don't think anybody was trying to take their cues on how to behave from Dr. Jonathan Chase. I think it's a good indication of how things have changed in the last 30, 40 years. I was also watching the original series of Star Trek. That was something that I... There's a mm-hmm. lot of sexually inappropriate things that happened on yeah. OG, OG Star Trek. So, and, that and I have to say, I, I, I expect it a lot of the time, but this yeah. one kind of took me by surprise. And I guess it was because it was so over the top that I just didn't expect the hero would become a, a monster. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I want Manimal to be stopped at all costs. Well, that's all we have for this very special episode on the pilot of Manimal. Please oh, let us know if it's something God. that you enjoyed and if you want us to keep going because we've got seven more. We don't, we seven more episodes of Manimal that are just waiting to be watched. I <laughs> Don't meet your heroes. I think it's a good... That's all I'm saying. But then again, man, I really enjoyed watching this. Yeah, Usually these bad things are just bad and boring, but this was not boring. I was astounded. It wasn't. So, that's true. So, so good job. Good job. <laughs> Glenn good Lawson. job, everybody. Everybody still here. Well, with that, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast, I guess. Bonus episode. HPPodcraft.com. Ah!